Chapter One of Adeline Mowbray. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pam Moscato. Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. Chapter One. In an old family mansion situated on an estate in Gloucestershire, known by the name of Rose Valley, resided Mrs. Mowbray and Adeline, her only child. Mrs. Mowbray's father, Mr. Woodville, a respectable country gentleman, married, in obedience to the will of his mother, the sole surviving daughter of an opulent merchant in London, whose large dower paid off some considerable mortgages on the Woodville estates, and whose mild and unoffending character soon gained that affection from her husband after marriage, which he denied her before it. Nor was it long before their happiness was increased, and their union cemented by the birth of a daughter, who, continuing to be an only child, and the probable heiress of great possessions, became the idol of her parents, and the object of unremitted attention to those who surrounded her. Consequently, one of the first lessons which Editha Woodville learnt was that of egotism, and to consider it as the chief duty of all who approached her to study the gratification of her whims and caprices. But, though rendered indolent in some measure by the blind folly of her parents and the homage of her dependents, she had a taste above the enjoyments which they offered her. She had a decided passion for literature, which she had acquired from a sister of Mr. Woodville, who had been brought up amongst literary characters of various pursuits and opinions, and this lady had imbibed from them a love of free inquiry, which she had little difficulty in imparting to her young and enthusiastic relation. But alas, that inclination for study, which, had it been directed to proper objects, would have been the charm of Miss Woodville's life, and the safeguard of her happiness, by giving her a constant source of amusement within herself, proved to her, from the unfortunate direction which it took, the abundant cause of misery and disappointment. For her, history, biography, poetry, and discoveries in natural philosophy had few attractions, while she pored with still unsatisfied delight over abstruse systems of morals and metaphysics, or new theories in politics, and scarcely a week elapsed in which she did not receive from her aunt's bookseller in London various tracts on these her favorite subjects. Happy would it have been for Miss Woodville if the merits of the works which she so much admired could have been canvassed in her presence by rational and unprejudiced persons, but her parents and friends being too ignorant to discuss philosophical opinions or political controversies, the young speculator was left to the decisions of her own inexperienced enthusiasm. To her, therefore, whatever was bold and uncommon seemed new and wise, and every succeeding theory held her imagination captive, till its power was weakened by one of equal claims to singularity. She soon, however, ceased to be contented with reading, and was eager to become a writer also. But as she was strongly imbued with the prejudices of an ancient family, she could not think of disgracing that family by turning professed author. She, therefore, confined her little effusions to a society of admiring friends, secretly lamenting the loss which the literary world sustained in her being born a gentlewoman. Nor is it to be wondered at that as she was ambitious to be, and to be thought a deep thinker, she should have acquired habits of abstraction and absence, which imparted a look of wildness to a pair of dark eyes that beamed with intelligence, and gave life to features of the most perfect regularity. 
to reverie indeed she was from childhood inclined and her life was long a life of reverie to her the present moment had scarcely ever existence and this propensity to lose herself in a sort of ideal world was considerably increased by the nature of her studies fatal and unproductive studies while wrapped in philosophical abstraction she was trying to understand a metaphysical question on the mechanism of the human mind or what constituted the true nature of virtue she suffered day after day to pass in the culpable neglect of positive duties and while imagining systems for the good of society and the furtherance of general philanthropy she allowed individual suffering in her neighborhood to pass unobserved and unrelieved while professing her unbounded love for the great family of the world she suffered her own family to pine under the consciousness of her neglect and viciously devoted those hours to the vanity of abstruse and solitary study which might have been better spent in amusing the declining age of her venerable parents whom affection had led to take up their abode with her let me observe before i proceed further that mrs mowbray scrupulously confined herself to theory even in her wisest speculations and being too timid and too indolent to illustrate by her conduct the various and opposing doctrines which it was her pride to maintain by turns her practice was ever in opposition to her opinions hence after haranguing with all the violence of a true whig on the natural rights of man or the blessings of freedom she would turn to a tory in her elbow chair and govern her household with despotic authority and after embracing at some moments the doubts of the sceptic she would often lie motionless in her bed from apprehensions of ghosts a helpless prey to the most abject superstition such was the mother of adeline mowbray such was the woman who having married the heir of rose valley merely to oblige her parents saw herself in the prime of life a rich widow with an only child who was left by mr mowbray a fond husband but an ill-judging parent entirely dependent on her at the time of mr mowbray's death adeline mowbray was ten years old and mrs mowbray thirty and like an animal in an exhausted receiver she had during her short existence been tormented by the experimental philosophy of her mother now it was judged right that she should learn nothing and now that she should learn everything now her graceful form and well-turned limbs were to be free from any bandage and any clothing save what decency required and now they were to be tortured by stiff stays and fettered by the stocks and the backboard all mrs mowbray's ambition had settled in one point one passion and that was education for this purpose she turned over innumerable volumes in search of rules on the subject on which she might improve anticipating with great satisfaction the moment when she should be held up as a pattern of imitation to mothers and be prevailed upon though with graceful reluctance to publish her system without a name for the benefit of society but however good her intentions were the execution of them was continually delayed by her habits of abstraction and reverie after having overnight arranged the tasks of adeline for the next day lost in some new speculations for the good of her child she would lie in bed all the morning exposing that child to the dangers of idleness 
at one time mrs mowbray had studied herself into great nicety with regard to the diet of her daughter but as she herself was too much used to the indulgences of the palate to be able to set her in reality an example of temperance she dined in appearance with adeline at one o'clock on pudding without butter and potatoes without salt but while the child was taking her afternoon's walk her own table was covered with viands fitted for the appetite of opulence unfortunately however the students conceived that the daughter as well as the mother had a right to regale clandestinely and the little adeline used to eat for her supper with the charge not to tell her mamma some of the good things set by from mrs mowbray's dinner it happened that as mrs mowbray was one evening smoothing adeline's flowing curls and stroking her ruddy cheeks she exclaimed triumphantly raising adeline to the glass see the effect of temperance and low living if you were accustomed to eat meat and butter and drink anything but water you would not look so healthy my love as you do now oh the excellent effects of a vegetable diet the artless girl whose conscience smote her during the whole of this speech hung her blushing head on her bosom and it was the confusion of guilt and mrs mowbray perceiving it earnestly demanded what it meant when adeline half crying gave a full explanation nothing could exceed the astonishment and mortification of mrs mowbray but though usually tenacious of her opinions she in this case profited by the lesson of experience she no longer expected any advantage from clandestine measures but adeline her appetites regulated by a proper exertion of parental authority was allowed to sit at the well-furnished table of her mother and was precluded by a judicious and open indulgence from wishing for a secret and improper one while the judicious praises which mrs mowbray bestowed on adeline's ingenuous confession endeared to her the practice of truth and laid the foundation of a habit of ingenuousness which formed throughout life one of the ornaments of her character with that mrs mowbray had always been equally judicious another great object of anxiety to her was the method of clothing children whether they should wear flannel or no flannel light shoes to give agility to the motions of the limbs or heavy shoes in order to strengthen the muscles by exertion when one day as she was turning over a voluminous author on this subject the nursery-maid hastily entered the room and claimed her attention but in vain mrs mowbray went on reading aloud some persons are of opinion that thin shoes are most beneficial to health others equally worthy of respect think thick ones of most use and the reasons for these different opinions we shall class under two heads dear me madam cried bridget and in the meantime miss adeline will go without any shoes at all do not interrupt me bridget cried mrs mowbray and proceeded to read on in the first place it is not clear says a learned writer whether children require any clothing at all for their feet at this moment adeline burst open the parlor door and crying bitterly held up her bleeding toes to her mother mamma mamma cried she you forgot to send for a pair of new shoes for me and see how the stones in the gravel have cut me this sight this appeal decided the question in dispute the feet of adeline bleeding on a new turkey carpet proved that some clothing for the feet was necessary and even mrs mowbray for a moment began to suspect that a little experience is better than a great deal of theory End of chapter one recording by pam moscato